Hello, my name is Sam Thiday. Some people may know me as a rugby league superstar. I played 304 games for the Brisbane Broncos. The season is I played 29 games for the Queensland State of Origin team. He's gone straight through, Sam. He's got to get his second try. And represented my country, Australia, 32 times. He stepped back in field, the crowd lift. He's got to kick off the cross photos there. Slam it, Sam. Uh, the reason why I want to do this podcast is I want to paint a human element to some of the superstars or, or the people that we look up to or the people that we put on these pedestals. Hopefully I can, with my story and getting my story out, encourage more people to speak up and show people the human side of us as well because we are human. So things kind of happen crazy fast for Rachel and I getting together after a long-term friendship we got engaged and married in the one year because it was you know your, your life revolved around the rugby league season and you know when it started when it finished when you could squeeze a wedding in and it was either going to be we December, do, we do this year. yeah we do this in six months or, or we, we don't do it Sam at all. Was questioning whether I'd still be there the following year <laughs> so um yeah we got married after being together for uh, a short period of time and then two years later in 2013 um, our oldest daughter Gracie comes along and you know that was um, an amazing time in, in both our lives and that's what we like to call our first origin baby came along I think every couple does it you work it out and you go when was it yeah. and you're like oh my god it was straight after origin well in 2014 Rachel comes to me after State of Origin and says, stay the hell away from me. <laughs> <laughs> Do not touch me. <laughs> it was an ongoing joke. It and was then an ongoing 2015, joke. Elsie arrives at the exact same time yeah. as Gracie arrived. Two days apart. Damn it. And then after that, I was like, I actually built him his own room because he was not even allowed to come near me. I was like, don't look at me. Don't sniff me. Don't anything me. Go away from me. We don't are done. shower because I want you to smell terrible. So I don't want to come near you. <laughs> um, so yeah, 2015, we had our second little bambino, Elsie. It was testing times. Was a tough little in 2015. Cookie. Yeah. Life between Elsie coming and kind of towards the end of my football career is, you know, I'm, I'm starting to pick up a little bit more work, um, starting to do a few more fun things that, um, you know, away from the rugby league field that I, that I really enjoy, some, some television work, some radio work. It's just flowing along. I think there was one, there was a few ups and downs. Like we talk about that roller coaster for me between 2015 and 2018, um, you know, 2015, we I had really bad postnatal, but n- never spoke about it. After our second one, I was so bad, and this has taken me a lot to be able to say this, um, even out loud or in the out, you know, to everyone now on this podcast is that you know postnatal and prenatal uh, depression absolutely sucks us, and I 
absolutely know what anyone is going through if they're going through it now or if they've experienced it um, in the past because, man, it's a hell of a ride and I was deep for about eight months of it. Uh, Feeling like you uh, couldn't... I didn't care for my child. Uh, And, you know, like not having that desire to want your child... Uh, and I've got so much hang up with it now because it's so still so raw and she's nearly four. I have this guilt, constant guilt, which I'm trying to work through with you know other things in life of trying to I feel like I forever try and give back a little bit extra for her because I felt like I missed out on that eight month period of her life where I just I needed to be there and I needed to be that mum that she needed to connect with. I just feel so guilty and shit that for eight months of her life in that first period, I just couldn't give her what every child deserves. And and you don't even know that you're going through it. And you don't even know, um, for me, like, I didn't even identify as that because I feel like sometimes for me, and this is nothing to do with anyone else, is I'd, I had, even at that time, I identified depression as a weakness and as a sign of weakness. And then that was me showing my weakness. Um... So I sort of went into denial of it and it wasn't until, again, my mum going, you know, I think we need to probably talk about this with someone or or deal with it. And and even at that time, you know, like you don't want to even admit that to your mum who you're closest with or, you know, to your best friend. It's it's so it's so it's such a horrid feeling, and it's so deep within you that you don't actually even know the depth that you've got to go to to be able to bring it back up. You know, like four years later, I'm still fighting my own little demons about the first eight months of my of my little girl's life, um, and feeling like I need to repair that relationship with her. We had a cafe that I was you know, pretty much running seven days a week. Well, Sam went in and made a decision to close it because it was going to be my health and sanity or yeah. the business. So we basically closed the business down because, you know, I basically wasn't swimming, I was sinking. Um, and at the same time, you know, there was captaincies and there were no captaincies and there was like there was lots of turmoil in the, in the football world and, and I guess what made up the highs and the lows of that period of time between then and your retirement so I smashed my face yeah we had a quick trip I mean I had a quick trip to England all of a sudden you know like 2am phone call from the dock while Sam's away in England I think it was like one of the very few um, test matches I hadn't watched I don't know why because I had two kids at home by myself and he's in England playing and I always talk to him after the game and holy shit, why is it? And I'm going, the doc's ringing me, what? And it's 2 a.m., answer it. And I'm like, hello? And he's just gone, look, Rach, I'm really sorry to be calling you. He's okay, he's alive. I'm like, he's alive? Um, he goes, look, we're just rushing in. It's emergency surgery. He's he's smashed half of his face, but he's alive. He can still move. Everything's working. We, we think that everything's okay. And I just remember sitting up going, he's not dead. He just was playing football. Like, what? This doesn't even make sense. And then I couldn't speak to him because he was pretty much out to it. So that was like 2 o'clock in the morning. And I think by 8 o'clock that night I was on an aircraft and headed for England. So 2 a.m. until 8 p.m. to organise my life, have two children, 
and get on board an aircraft to head to England to get there before he got out of his surgery. I felt like it was the longest flight of my life. So I like literally went through through Abu Dhabi and I just couldn't get on the next flight fast enough to then get into an Uber fast enough to get to the hospital. And literally he is getting rolled out as I'm walking in. And I just remember seeing him and me going white and just feeling ill because I just couldn't even recognise him. It was like he'd been in a head-on collision in a car accident. It was just horrible and he couldn't look at me. I looked like the guy off the Goonies. That's what I looked like. Hey, you guys. (laughs) I had a depressed fracture of my cheekbone and when it happened, I can remember we were playing England at the time and we'd just scored and it was a kick-off and kind of kicked my way and I, I took the run and I don't even remember. Like usually in my mind I would try and pick someone out in the line whether it was a guy that I knew if he was a right shoulder tackler, I would try and run his left shoulder, or if it was a, a smaller guy, you'll try and pick him out, or you know, or try and pick uh, in between type of space in between two players. If there was a big enough gap there, you could try to, you know, maybe get your nose through there. And this one, I just kind of, I never really lumbered up in in, in any type of run. I always went as hard as I could. And, that was probably my downfall in the end. And I remember picking out one player and it was James Graham. And the biggest forehead ever. Yeah, he's got, a, he's got a tough scone on him. And I don't, in saying that I picked him out, I didn't pick him out. It was just a, you know automatic thing in my mind to just run the ball. And I can remember leaning into James to brace for the, for the hit, but he was also leaning in at the same time and, and his tackle technique is very similar to... You know, if you ever see two rams, you know, ramming heads, he likes to kind of come in, you know, tuck his chin a little bit, protecting himself, which, you know, he kind of taught as a as a kid when you're tackling. And I wasn't on his right shoulder, I wasn't on his left shoulder, I was kind of straight on with him and his head hits me straight flush uh, on the cheekbone. I was pretty pumped I didn't drop the ball. I was pretty happy with that. But um, I can remember laying there and Cameron Smith who was the number nine at the time. And uh, I can remember looking up at him and just laying there going, oh, shit. He goes, you are right?" I said, nah. I said, I've broke my fucking face. Well, hang on a sec. They've caught him high here. Thiday. Was he falling into it? Andrew, come on. It's Thiday. He's not falling into it. The way I could tell is my face had gone numb on the left-hand side and I felt like I lost all my teeth. And I felt as if I was going to pull my mouth guard out, all my teeth were going to come out as well. And then the doc came out and saw me on the field. I was still laying there on my back and he asked me if I was okay. I told him, no, I broke my fucking face. I walked off the field, gave James Graham a bit of a spray. Don't know what I was going to do though. but and I can just remember then just sitting in the shower and just thinking about all the scenarios like... If my face is broken, then I won't be able to fly home. I'm going to be stuck over here for a month. I'm going to, you know, all these different things were playing in my head. And I knew that I would have to call home and I'd have to call Rach and let her know what had happened. And it's just, I kind of got into the ambulance. I still had my mouth guarding at this point because I was still worried that my teeth were going to fall out. But then the ambulance driver said that I needed to take it out so they could check my all my uh, vital signs and make sure I wasn't going to pass out or be sick or anything but 
at that point you felt so alone the not knowing not knowing if you're going to lose your vision in that eye not knowing if it will repair and get strong enough that you can go back and play football again you know not knowing if you're ever going to be able to play for Australia again that could have been my last game all those things kind of go through your head and you know this was a tour where we were pretty dominant as a team and we knew that we were going to win and I was a part of that and it was we were having a good time over there it was fun I was really enjoying it and then I get an injury like that and it just brings you back down again. Coming back after the facial surgery end of 2016, I'm straight back into training, 2017. Uh, pre-season started a little bit later because of the tour at the end of the year and because of the surgery. I'm back to training in January, getting ready for the 2017 season. That was a crazy year as well. You know, there was always... The thought in the back of the in the mind again is my face going to be tough enough if I get hit in it again will it break again? You know I'd made a name for myself for being the crazy guy. You know when I had longer hair when I first started my career, people used to love it because my hair would flick forward every time I was tackled, and it looked like the impact was bigger than it actually was. So um, you know I, I kind of built up a reputation and a, and a following for being the hard edged crazy guy and. You know, I questioned myself, would I still have that hard edge if I still had these thoughts in the back of my mind if I am going to be hard or tough anymore? It wasn't too long into that season when the coach approached me and said that at the end of the 2018 season, they weren't going to offer me another contract going forward. For me, being a guy that played for the one team throughout my whole career, showed loyalty to them and I had chances and opportunities to go elsewhere you know this was a kind of a bit of a gut punch when you haven't been able to have the ability to call curtains on your own career and somewhat forced to call curtains on it that's pretty heartbreaking the conversation with Wayne was that he'd had a conversation with one of the journalists and they were going to come and talk to me in the sheds after the game, and I was a bit confused by all this at that point in time. And he told me that he'd been speaking with the journalists and said that going forward I wasn't going to be offered another contract at the club. And then he broke the news to me. Because he had to. He had to tell me because a reporter was about to ask me questions about that. I was kind of blindsided by that and pretty gutted by the way that was handled. I don't come to work every day thinking whether I'm the coach or your friend. I just come and you know when I'm the coach and you know when I'm your friend. And if you don't, well, you, you better work it out pretty quick. Otherwise, you're, you're going to struggle with it. But I'm not going to struggle with it because I've worked out long before. The hardest thing with being a professional sporting person is that you are a product. And once they've had enough of the product, they ship you off and get another product in. Um, you walk into an environment and you work your butt off and they give you a number when you come in and it's almost as if it's your, that's your barcode and your use-by date is stamped on you and then you kind of, when that runs out, it runs out. And that's probably the, that's probably the worst part about the whole experience of being a professional sporting person is that you can work so hard for so long to 
achieve your goals and fulfill a dream, but they're just as quick to cheer you up and spit you out the other side. Having the ability to make the call yourself is something that I always wanted to do. And I still believe that I had things that I could contribute to the team. And that was probably the, the, the hardest thing. There were a lot of slaps in the face. There was receiving the, the captaincy of the team and then have that captaincy taken away from you because, you know, you didn't talk enough or you weren't doing this well enough as a captain. I had been given no guidance. I had been given no support. We had a long-term captain who had a lot of success at our club and I didn't think there was enough of a support net there for me as a, as a captain to really help me grow and develop in that role. And then when they saw the opportunity to get rid of me as a captain, they did it pretty quickly. That was a double-handed slap in the face that day. After a long season uh, with the Broncos, uh, representing my state, uh, representing my country in the World Cup, um, I, I came home and had a, a couple of lengthy chats with the coach. Um, and uh, the, the coach's thoughts were um, that uh, it would be best for myself uh, and the team. Uh, and I play my best football uh, when I don't have the added responsibility of being uh, the, the Broncos captain. So it's with a very heavy heart. Uh, today I, uh, I stand down as Broncos captain. Um, I've uh, given over 10 years to this club uh, and it's been a, a, an absolute honour uh, to have um, you know, had the captaincy uh, for the last two years and uh, to captain a team that I, I've loved uh, for, a, for a long time uh, as a young kid. This decision, even though it's probably been one of the toughest ones I've had to make in my footballing career, um, has been made uh, to, be to benefit the team um, and um, myself being a team man uh, and, and always trying to put the team first. I think me stepping back and stepping, stepping down as Broncos captain uh, is hopefully going to benefit uh, our team in the future. I think I see it a little bit differently. I remember I see football and I always saw football as like a business place, right? It's your business place and you go there to do your work and then you come home and that's business life. I just saw it as an out to other people failing within the system that they would use him as a scapegoat, make it look like he is failing them. When a sporting team doesn't start to succeed, we try and pinpoint what the bricks are, you know, that might be bringing it down. Sometimes we don't want to look at what the real reason is. Sam was one of the bricks that just got pulled because it was easier to blame him and his captaincy and his leadership skills that were failing the team. It wasn't Sam. You can't expect someone to go in and captain an NRL side or any national side and not provide them with education, tools and mechanisms as to how to cope and then also be able to provide that to 30 other young men that are coming through that are idolising you know, and looking up to you as a captain and basically to lead. So I, I think I can speak out of school in that sense of that was a really big time of the roller coaster ride. But I feel like that was very unfairly done. There was a lot of other bricks that should have come down at the same time with it. I'll just say instant coffee. <laughs> when someone invites you around the house and 
delivers <laughs> the news to you and says that you won't be the captain anymore. And hands you an instant coffee. And hands you an instant coffee. That's Just when you know. It. Yeah. <laughs> some bad cards to be dealt. 2017 State of Origin series started and I was selected for game one, which is really good. I'd played 28 games for Queensland at that point in time, a career that started in 2006 as a 21-year-old. And I... Um, Here in Brisbane, for the start of uh, the 36th series in this intriguing history. Oh, Queensland attacking strong. Boy, here's a chance. It might well be a try over there. Origin one is over. The final score, New South Wales 28, Queensland 4. I was really looking forward to playing 30 games for Queensland. That was one of my goals and uh, a huge achievement. There's a special group for guys that, that play 30 games for Queensland. They're called the Statesmen. And I just would have loved to have been able to be a part of the Statesmen. Played the first game. We lost the first game. You know, there was talk after the first game that, you know, things need to change in the Queensland team. And... We need to evolve and grow if we want to continue the success. Um, you know, we're going to have to maybe move some players on. And I was, you know, I had no indication that that player would have been me. But when it was time to select the team for game two, I did not receive a single phone call. So usually the selection process goes that... Um, you are notified before the team is announced on any social media, on any TV outlet. You are notified usually the day before. Told to keep it on the hush, get your bag packed, we'll see you tomorrow. You know, I kind of sat around waiting all day. Pretty special day actually, to be honest. Um, it was my birthday and uh, we had some family over for dinner and cake and the team was announced on the news. Queensland and New South Wales have announced their sides for Origin. And I said to her, oh, I don't know if that's the team or if that's just the predicted team or whatever it is. I said to Rach, trying to, you know, keep a positive frame of mind. And um, it kind of wasn't until after the team was announced that I received the phone call from the coach at that point in time and everyone's singing happy birthday to me and I'm about to cut into my birthday cake. And I think I then... Uh, Poured a nice glass of red after that and it was definitely a home pour, almost filled the cup up. I felt so disrespected for the way that things were handled and even if Kevy would have rang me at 6am that morning and said, hey mate, we're going in a different direction this time around, I'm not going to select you, I would have been happier with that than the way that things were handled in that way. So pretty gut-wrenching. Do you think that it was almost a feeling of not being treated like a human being rather than just a product? That's why I talk about being a product. You are a number, you are a product when you come into that sporting environment and it's that's the thing that sucks the most about it and I, I felt like a piece of shit that didn't deserve the right to be treated in the right way and, um, you know. You just weren't treated with the respect of what a human being deserves. And essentially if you were in a in a nine to five and you were going to well, I've got to go and fire Terry, 
I've got to go do that today. And you waited to the last second that you could as he walked out the door at five o'clock and just said, all right, Terry, don't worry about coming back tomorrow, mate. You're fired. That's what I felt like. It was the biggest kick in the guts and kick in the teeth as well at the same time. I'd been kind of wasn't it wasn't a great feeling at all and then happens again the Australian team announced at the end of the year in 2017 and the exact same thing happens again you think you kind of know a coach or have earned the respect of a coach and really given them your time and you know a year before you'd kind of put your body on the line for the team you'd smashed your face up on the field for the team and then not to be given the respect of a, a phone call to say that you're not in consideration or, or being selected in the Australian team was again another kick in the guts and without even knowing you know in I think it was uh, the Anzac Day test we played in Canberra that year in 2017 Rachel came down and watched that game and I can remember being out on the field for like an hour and a half after the game and I walked around that field at Canberra and high-fived as many people as I could and signed as many autographs and took as many photos as I could, not even knowing that that was going to be my last game that I ever played for Australia. And um, that was absolutely crazy that, you know, I really did, I soaked up the moment. Even just that gap of like June to December and then not making the Australian team in December, you know, you can almost feel engaged that distaste that he had for football. He was just heartbroken again. And I think Sam being the loyal person that he always has been, it is naturally ingrained, I believe, in certain people in life that loyalty is just their thing. They're fiercely loyal. And he was. He was through and through. And he respected but all the coaches like he would a best friend. So then not only to A, not make a team, he understood that part of it, but it wasn't necessarily the not making the team, but it was more just the way, hey, guys, I'm not being treated like a human being. You know, I deserve to be treated with a little bit more respect and a little bit more loyalty that I've given you for the last 15 years kind of thing. And that really started to show through and it really started to form some cracks because, I mean, that had started at the start of 2017 with Wayne sitting him down, basically having to tell him, look, I've talked about you to the journos and I've got caught out, so now they're going to come and talk to you, so I've got to tell you. That's the only reason getting told. That takes a lot of strength to be able to get your jersey on week in, week out, knowing that your product has an expiry date and it's already been set for you. And I remember that was probably one of the years I wanted off the roller coaster. I disengaged from footy because I thought there's no way that these people, these human beings, can give their everything to clubs, to businesses, and still be treated like this in an inhumane way. Like it's, you've got feelings. To the boy on the wall, sitting so quiet and still, why are you there? Is it for fun or is it for thrill? To the boy on the wall, a boy, not yet a man. A lack of direction, not a single life plan. To the boy on the wall, what would your parents say? You don't know because you hide. Stay quiet. 
you lock things away. To the boy on the wall, I don't think you will jump. I can feel your heartbeat. I can feel that throat lump. To the boy on the wall, snap out of it. Step back just a bit. Quick, the sun's going down. You've got to get home. Shit. You jump on your bike, a warm breeze on your face. Mind still blank, pushing the pedals with purpose and pace. Filled with confusion with what he just did. He was quite lucky, some would say, a fortunate kid. He had a mum, a dad, some brothers as well. But inside he had demons, his own little hell. He had a house, a roof, a bed to lay down. But pain had led him to the wall to stare at the ground. No one loves you. You're dumb. A waste. You won't amount to a thing. They were the comments in his head that would ring. All these weren't true, but when you're stuck in a rut, they weigh on you and weigh on you until you want to give up. This is why the boy ended up sitting on the wall, feeling all alone, helpless with no one to call. If I was there now, I would hug you so tight and let you know it's okay. It will all be alright. To the boy on the wall, I can now see your fear. Because at that point in time, things weren't very clear. To the boy on the wall, if you looked up you would have seen. You will become a great man and fulfill all your dreams. To the boy on the wall, I now see what you see. To the boy on the wall, I can't wait for you to grow up and be me. Sometimes I feel as if I go back and visit the boy on the wall. On an emotional level, when, you know, I feel as if I'm a pretty giving person and you know, giving of love and, and support to a lot of different people. And sometimes when you don't see it in return, it, it's kind of heartbreaking and you do feel like you're back sitting on that wall again and not caring about about anything and somewhat lost looking for what's the next path and you know what is next in your life so the kind of transition from the 17 2017 season into the 2018 season I was kind of ticking boxes pretty confused wanting to get to the end of my career but also not wanting to get to the end of my professional career because I didn't know what was next yeah I dabbled in doing a few different things with television and radio but again self-doubt slips in are you good enough to be doing that why would people want to watch you who cares about your opinions anyway so those things were going through my mind but also you know trying to stay positive and knowing that you're part of a team environment where you know you've got teammates that rely on you and you know of their age now where you know some of the young guys are coming to you for advice and footballing advice life advice and you know sometimes being guarded with those things because again you're giving of time giving of all these things that you're going to see it in return and it's a 
kind of selfish way of seeing things sometimes, but I try not to be in that way and I try to give as much as I can to as many people as I can. So 2018 was a very, very tough year. Um, trying to get through a football season, but also absolutely panicking about what was going to happen next. Uh, It's hard to say if I feel good enough now. Um, I don't know what I'm good enough at. That's the thing. I I have some ideas and some dreams and things that I want to do, but I need to continue to work on uh, making sure that the self-doubt and the voice inside my head is, is a positive one and not a negative one. Do you miss me at all? Do you think about the things we used to do? You couldn't stand tall So why didn't you, why didn't you call I know if I can be better with that I can I can do amazing things I think other people see me as a fun, easygoing, funny guy uh, Someone that likes to have fun and really kind of tiptoe on the edge of controversy every now and then. Uh, I see myself as, right now, a little bit lost, lonely sometimes, confused, scared. I want to grow and develop, be a better version of myself. I want to write. I want to do as many amazing, incredible things as I can. I want to be a great husband, I want to be a great father and just a great human being. I just want to be able to leave my mark and hopefully help as many people as I can and help myself. I guess I worry for Sam in certain aspects of uh, who he is and knowing, you know, where he's come from and at the same time I... I do believe that with the time and the space that he's willing to invest in himself now, he can become and will be and is the better version of himself with that patience and that space um, and that allowance in himself. He can only give himself the best outlook possible to be the best human possible for him, no one else. The rest comes with it, I believe. But if you're willing to invest in yourself and put in the work and understand your emotions and why you're feeling it and how to give yourself the uh, opportunity to be able to manage it and the tools and support around you. I think he can be the best version of yourself and he will do it. He will do it because, you know, like that footballer that ran out in the field for the first time, anything he puts his mind to, he does it properly. It takes a bit to get there, but once he gets there, Anything's possible. I hope this podcast sheds a light on some of the struggles that elite sporting people go through. Some of the fantastic things that come from 
being an elite sports star are amazing, but also some of the spotlight that is shone upon you can be tough sometimes. There are extreme highs and extreme lows, and we do struggle through a lot of things. I also hope that this podcast helps elite sports stars out there that may be too standoffish to, to tell their story or to voice their feelings or opinions. I hope that they can grow and develop a strength within themselves to start talking about them and get them out there because I know that there's some really, really interesting stories out there and you know someone's story can hopefully change someone's life and what's better than that? Because we are elite sports people, but we are human. Next time on We Are Human. I'm joined today by a very special guest in Darius Boyd. Uh, I never met my father growing up. Um, so I was you know, basically raised by my mother. And then my mum had some you know, mental health battles herself. Um, but yeah, I didn't really understand it at the time. You know, I was probably quite young. Um, you talk about mental health. Um, you know, I didn't really understand or know what that was even about. Have you ever uh, reached out and, and, and tried to find him? There's a couple of articles in the paper um, and I had a, two or three people reach out um, saying they thought that um, they might have been my father or... If you lose a game, uh, and I wasn't great at handling losses at that point in my, my life, um, I've, I knew that if we had a loss or the team wasn't performing the way I wanted it to or you know, things weren't going the way I would have liked on the field, that it didn't make me a bad person. I could still live a normal life and a happy life away from the field.